Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Jesus, thank you that in in moments like these, we can look to the cross and we can call on the cross, Lord, and know that your cross, Jesus, is sufficient, that by your stripes we are healed. And so we hold on to that promise and we speak it out over Timothy, Lord. We speak it over every sick person in our midst, Lord God, every person going through just physical challenges. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you touch and heal them, Lord? God, we choose to believe that you are able, and not only able, but willing to heal. And so we speak healing over little Timothy, Lord God, that whatever needs to happen to have his breathing just back to normal and flowing as normal, that would happen. We think of little Noah who we've been praying for for so long, and we just speak health again to his tummy, his intestines, his digestive tract in Jesus' name. And we trust that, Holy Spirit, you will continue to touch and heal as you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Just reminded that there's really been a, a grace on us as a congregation to pray for little ones from when Callista and Peter had little Eben. How old is Eben now? Does anyone know? He's nine, 11, somewhere around there, roughly about a decade when just before they went for their last gynecologist test and the gynecologist looked at the test and said, Something is wrong, very, very wrong. Um, and little Yeban wasn't meant to be born. And I remember that evening in church as we just prayed and just something shifted in the spirit that night. And Yeban is now a 10-year-old, fairly healthy, or 9, 11, somewhere there, healthy child who has his health challenges. But God's really just breathed over all of that and used him as an example and just created just a a platform for His name and for His glory. And since then, we've prayed for so many other kids who have had reasons why they shouldn't be born, why they shouldn't be. I'm just thinking, I'm not seeing, um, maybe they're in the, in the mother's room, um, Christus Slabert, and their little one who was meant to have brain damage, and Yaku went and laid hands, and they prayed, and the doctors were like, well, there doesn't seem to be any brain damage. And it, it's not meant, what's happening here isn't what meant to happen. And just so many encounters like that. And let's just continue to, Press into that and trust God to stir faith, especially for young ones. One of the, so we often get asked, I don't know kind of how often, if, if you have a, a conversation with someone and they say, what do you do? I'm an engineer, or I'm a computer programmer, or I'm an accountant, or I'm a doctor. And then the follow-up question, what do you actually do? And, and sometimes as a pastor, we get that. So what do you, you just sit all day and read Bible and pray. And that would be really, really amazing if we could. Um, but surprisingly, we don't. We do a, a lot of very different, random, diverse things. And sort of a job description, apart from the, the running of the church spiritually, there's obviously a couple of things. Got to find some, fortunately, it's easy with you guys, a, a way to love you, to care for you, to try and be there in the important moments in our lives to teach and spiritually to give direction as to what the Lord is saying to us, sometimes to warn. We miss that sometimes, that a large part of Jesus' ministry, Scripture says Jesus went about preaching, 
teaching and warning everywhere he went. There was a strong warning element to the ministry of Jesus. And then sometimes it's simply to explain. And this morning, as I'm going to be ministering, I'm going to be looking at passages that I think most of us know pretty well. And I was so encouraged by the words that were shared a little bit earlier. They just so resonated with what I think God is wanting to say to us this morning. Trying to explain what perhaps is happening in, in some of our lives. Maybe not in all of our lives, but maybe for some of us we, we're going through some things. It's as if something is stirring in our heart and I sense God is morning. He's just wanting me to take some time. And just from Scripture, just hopefully help us to understand a little bit maybe what you've been wrestling with in your heart, maybe without even telling others as the Lord has just been showing. So far this year, obviously, we've been speaking about two, two main themes which are connected together of stepping in, stepping into God's love. And for such a large part at the start of this year, kind of all that I sensed God was saying over and over and over is, just words of affirmation. God has chosen you. Saying about incense again this morning. Burning incense day and night, night and day. But that passage over and over that we were looking at, that God just wanted to speak into your spirit, speak into my spirit, that God has chosen us. Passage ends with to burn incense. God has chosen us. God has chosen you and all of that is part of his love, just stepping into the fact that he has accepted us as we are. A really great time doing life encounter with some of our students and some of the young workings that last two Wednesdays and even some people there who've been following Christ for a long time. And the one guy came and was like, I just realize it now. I don't add anything to my salvation. I can't do anything. My doing doesn't change anything about God's saving. All I have to do is receive what Christ has already done. And in the same way, God has chosen you and God has smiled upon you and God loves you, not because of anything you've done or will ever do. He's chosen you. In the last couple of weeks, we've sort of transition and sense God is beginning to speak to us a little bit more about stepping into purpose. And stepping into our purpose starts with us embracing His purpose. Started speaking about this idea of the Missio Dei, that God has a purpose. It's not so much that God has a purpose for its church as much as God has a church for His purpose. God's purpose existed way before there was a church. God's purpose existed from creation. God has had a purpose to redeem and to restore. And he brings his church into that purpose. And we've started speaking about that the, the last couple of weeks, specifically about being empowered by the Holy Spirit. I really want to encourage you that um, for those of you who are a part of us as a church, you know, there, there are different ways in which we can approach the Word of God. We can approach it as information, which it is sometimes. We can approach it for um, for encouragement, which the Word of God really is. It lifts our spirits, verse of the day, and those type of things. It's really, it's good because, you know, it's normally something encouraging. But I think we should, trans we should approach the Word as transformational. The Word transforms and shapes and forms us. Even just as I was praying through the message this morning, I was reminded that it's the Word of God that transforms us. 
Sometimes in our, our modern environments, we get um, drawn into a little bit to how the word is preached. And I'm for, all for preaching well. I try and preach as well as I, I possibly can. I love listening to good preachers. But sometimes we think it's the good preaching that transforms us, and we miss that it's the word that transforms us. I remember a, a while ago, a long while ago, went to church with my dad, who at that stage um, was in a very, very traditional church. And I remember walking in there, and I was like, this is going to be such a waste of time, but I'm doing this for a relationship. And as I sat down, I just sensed the Holy Spirit speak to me in this very staunch, very conservative environment. And he said, I can be here too. And I just realized in that moment, whatever the guy preaching interpretation of the word was, which I completely disagreed with, that was year 11. It was still the word. And God could still use his word to transform. And so I want to encourage us that when we come to a Sunday, if we, if we can't be here on a Sunday, we load all of our messages on as a podcast, and you can just on whatever your favorite podcasting platform is, make it a habit to say, if I wasn't here on Sunday, I'm still going to listen to the message because I'm expecting that God is speaking. And God is speaking to us as a, as a church, and in a sense, He's taking us on a journey, and I'm maybe missing some of the directions of where to turn and where to go straight, and what are the things we're looking for if I miss a message, and we don't expect every single one of us to be here every Sunday, as nice as that would be, um, but hopefully we have lives, and we go away weekends from time to time, and we're not always in Pretoria, and we can't always attend, but we can always catch up. Um, in the last couple of weeks, God's really been speaking to us about embracing His purpose, His mission day, and specifically that His Holy Spirit wants to empower us toward His purpose. We've been speaking about that quite, quite a lot. And that brings us to where we are this morning, because if we are genuinely praying for God to use us, and I hope and pray that sitting in this room this morning, that is our heart and our prayer, then we must also embrace the fact that first He must make us. First He must make us. We look at the disciples, the apostles, the twelve, and sometimes we miss that their first call was to be made. Jesus said, come and I will come follow me and I will make you. He didn't say, come follow me because you already are. Come follow me because you have the skills you need. Come follow me because you're the finished product. Hope we've noticed that by now. None of us start as the finished product. None of us start at the finish line. I think it's comrades this weekend or coming up sometime now. You don't start at the finish line. You start in period Maritzburg and somehow you have to get to Durban. Some of us have been on this journey and God has been making us. But every time we say yes again, He needs to make us a little bit different. I was reminded of Jeremiah chapter 18 with Jeremiah. God says to Jeremiah, go and look at the potter. And so he goes to the potter's house and he watches how the potter makes this vessel. And as he makes this vessel, the vessel becomes a little bit deformed and he decides to make it into a completely different vessel. And God says... But can't I do exactly the same? Can't I remake you and reshape you? And there are times when God will come and do that in our lives. 
when we are the potter and he is the clay. The other way around. We are the clay and he is the potter. And he will shape us and he will form us. And just as we think he's finished forming us, he'll say, now it's time to reform you, to reshape you. I remember one of the, the very first times we were in this building, still praying about this building. We hadn't even signed the stuff and made the decision to come in here. I was standing here near this pillar praying. And one of the things I felt God say was this, this building will be a place of surrender. It'll be a place of surrender. And these last, we've been in here, what, a year and a half now, as I've been praying and working with us, I realize that, and I didn't realize it then, but I'm beginning to realize it more and more, that surrender can only come after a struggle. Surrender is like we don't start, we don't, when the war gets declared, we don't surrender straight away. There's a struggle, there's a wrestling first. Jacob wrestled with God. And many of us are in this place where we are wrestling with God a little bit, where He is making us, where He's shaping and forming us. Part of me wanted to speak a little bit, but I'll get to that probably in, a, in another week or, or weeks in the coming. Just want to drop this out here because some of us are wrestling with this truth, and let me just put this out there for now. It is okay to have a will different to the will of the Father. Jesus' will was different to the will of the Father. If that's where you are right now, that's okay. But realize that if you are genuine in your pursuit of God, then there will be a Gethsemane. There will be a place where we surrender our will. But it's okay to have a will that's different. Don't run away from the fact that my will isn't the same as the will of the Father. Own it, embrace it. And then also make a peace with Gethsemane is coming. There is going to be a wrestling. And there's going to be a place where I yield, where I surrender. But if I'm not there yet, Jesus didn't start there. Jesus didn't start. And I mean, this is just blows my mind because of the Trinity and the whole idea of three persons and one essence. God in the fullness of himself was disagreeing with himself. And that's hard to explain to us, but... Just for us for this morning, it's okay that if your will is different to the will of the Father, that's okay for now. Gethsemane is coming. Surrender is coming. Know that there will be a wrestling, but don't feel bad. Don't run away. Don't be ashamed and shy because right now my will doesn't line up with the will of the Father. And so that brings us to the, the passage that I want us to spend a little bit of time reading today, a passage that many of us have probably heard Probably if we went to some Christian-based school where maybe there was a Bible reading from time to time, this would have been one of the regular Bible readings. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, and it's sort of in a, a section where Jesus is just doing a lot of teaching. It's sort of in the, if you, if you will, it's, his, his ministry is really flourishing. This is kind of in the, the sweet spot of his ministry. People are listening to him. They're coming to him. Miracles are happening. Demons are being driven out. There's crowds everywhere. Jesus is just going teaching, teaching, teaching. And wherever he's teaching, people are following him. The disciples are there. It's just a really vibrant time in his ministry. And in Matthew chapter 13, later that same day, Jesus left the house and he sat beside a lake. A large crowd soon gathered. And just for context, we know in, in this context, when we're looking at Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, 
a large crowd, the thousands. That's what we're looking at here in, in terms of the numbers that are following Jesus. They soon gathered around him, and so he got into a boat. He sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. And after this, there are a whole bunch of parables that follow. Listen, a farmer went to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Anyone who hears with, sorry, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then there's a section where they ask Jesus, why are you speaking to us in these stories and parables? Just tell us what you mean to say. And kind of he explains the purpose of parables a little bit. And then he explains this parable, which we'll get to in a moment. A few things that I just want us to see in, from it in, in its parable form. And the first one is that fruitfulness matters to God. Fruitfulness is not irrelevant in God's purpose and in God's plan. When God looks at your life, when He looks at my life, He's seeking fruitfulness. At one stage, He tells another parable, another story of um, a man who goes away to a faraway land and He calls three of His servants together and He gives one of them five pieces of money, five coins. He gives the other one two coins. He gives the other one one coin. And He, he goes away and he, he comes back. And he is decidedly upset with the one who took his one coin and hid it in the ground because there was no fruitfulness. There was no multiplication. And so we need to embrace that God wants to lead us in fruitfulness. I just quickly want to transport us back to life encounter on Wednesday night and just such a grace that we need to embrace. I cannot make myself fruitful. We have some rose bushes in our garden which are a little bit neglected and they're not as fruitful, as pretty as they were in previous seasons where they were nest less, when they were less neglected. There is nothing that rosebush can do to make itself flower better. As much as maybe it wants to, as much as the rosebush's desire may be, I want to have more flowers, that it's beyond anything that rosebush can do. It's all about the gardener. And so God is, in a sense, the constant gardener. I almost wanted to call today the constant gardener, kind of stealing from the, the movie title. God is gardening in your life. And so the first thing is just to, to wrestle into that, to understand what is it that God is doing, because I cannot do it. I cannot make myself more fruitful. I desire to be more fruitful. I desire to be used by God, but I cannot make myself more fruitful. That we spoke about the last couple of weeks, and that's where the Holy Spirit wants to empower us, and we need to yield to what He is doing so He can do what He needs to do in our lives so that fruitfulness will follow, but fruitfulness is important to God. We cannot just sit back and say, I'm happy being unfruitful, unfruitfulness is cool. I'm going to take my coin and hide it in the ground, and when the master comes back, I'll give him his coin back. God looks at that, and He says, that, that's not how it works in my kingdom. You cannot make yourself more fruitful, but you cannot hide from fruitfulness either. 
It's not a non-issue to him. When we read this passage normally and often we use it in the context of speaking and teaching about evangelism, when we're speaking about kind of sowing into different seeds and kind of sowing seeds into different soil and what is a different soil in which we are sowing, etc., etc. And I think there's obviously value in that. But I want this to read it this morning in the context of our here and now, of my life. I think it's sometimes so easy to disconnect from Scripture because we think it's applicable in a different situation. And sometimes we deliberately need to pull that into our situations. So for us as followers of Jesus who have following Him for a long time, I think there's a, a type of pathway to fruitfulness that we find within this passage. Once again, as I said, this isn't by what we need to do. It's perhaps a little bit more explaining about what is God busy doing in our lives. So here's the explanation that he gives us in, from verse 18 onwards. He says, listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. And then after that, we're going to spend some time this morning praying with some of us about this and, and into these areas. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Step one is we need to trust and work with the Holy Spirit to develop an understanding of the gospel. One of the reasons why we take so much effort to do the encounter series and to do Bible school, which will be starting up again in, I think, the middle of August, the second semester starts. One of the reasons we go through that whole process is to help to bring some form of understanding of what is the gospel. If we harden our hearts and we don't allow the gospel to penetrate our minds, to penetrate our thinking, to develop an understanding Scripture says we're probably going to fall by the wayside. They don't understand that the evil one comes and he snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. You see, the seed was planted there. It just was never allowed to grow. No understanding around it was ever developed. That's why we preach. That's why we go through the effort of doing all of the various discipleship things we do. Is we want to help all of us to grow in discipleship, to grow in understanding. The second one is the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. We have a, a great encounter. We have a worship night and God is there. We hear His voice. Someone prophesies into us. We see a vision, whatever. We have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. We know God has spoken to me. I'm excited about this Jesus thing and I start running. There's no starting gun. Everyone else is still gathering together for the start of the comrades. I'm already, what is it this year? Down, run, up in. Does anyone know? Oh, we're running down this year. We're running up. We're running down. I'm already halfway out of Peter Maritzburg. Durban, I'm coming. Other people, you'll catch up later. I'm going. I'm following Jesus. What the scripture says is the danger there. Since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as two things happen. They have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. I think most of us who are sitting here, hopefully we've developed deep roots already. Persecution has come. Maybe some of us are a little bit twisted like me. Is that persecution 
just hardens us a little bit more in what we believe. And why we, not why we believe it, but it's just the little stubbornness that's hidden inside of us when persecution comes. We just press in a little bit harder. Roots have developed. We need to take time and we need to allow roots to develop. One of the reasons why relationships are so important, relationships are one of the primary ways in which we establish roots as Christians. What I mean by that, if I'm in healthy relationships, perhaps in a, a small group type environment, when I start going off in a, the wrong direction, what is it that calls me back? Hopefully the friend who picks up the phone and says, hey, you weren't there on Wednesday night. Are you okay? I heard you speaking about this. I saw your Facebook status, your WhatsApp status or whatever. I heard this. Someone mentioned this to me. Are you okay? What's going on? It's part of what a root does. It solidifies who we are and, and where we are. We need to develop strong roots relationally. We need to develop strong roots spiritually. Our spirits need to, what Scripture says, not become novices anymore. We need to develop a form of maturity, obviously, that comes from being in the Word and engaging in the Spirit. Theologically, one of the reasons why later on, especially Bible school, becomes the first couple of modules about Bible school or about sort of just being grounded in the faith and faith, and then we need to grow theologically, and Bible school helps us so much with that, to grow deep roots. Because one of two things happen when, see, when problems, when we have problems here, this translation says, or we're persecuted for believing God's Word, if we have a misunderstanding of God's Word, if we think, for example, as something that kind of we hear, unfortunately, too regularly, that God is all about making your life better, when I have problems, God's making my life, not making my life better. It's, my, it's easy to leave God. God's not holding up his end of the bargain. If I sort of buy into theology that God's purpose is to make my life easier, God exists for me, he's on call, kind of I'm just going to carry on with my life. And when the pawpaw hits the fan, then I've got an emergency speed dial number to Jesus and he's going to sort it out for me. And sort of if that's a theology that I've bought into, the scripture says when problems arise or persecution for believing God's word, then it becomes really hard to hold on to Christ. If I flip that around and I realize that he has bought me with a price, I am not my own, I belong to him. Then persecution happens and I press in deeper. I say like, Paul writes, thank you that I've encountered worthy to suffer for your name. Counted all joy when I fall into various trials, etc., etc. Those passages become alive to us. We understand the depth of the love of Christ, which supersedes anything that this world holds before us. Our identity is shaped and, and formed in Him. And then the one which I, I think is perhaps where many of us are finding ourselves in our walk with Christ at the moment the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. It's crowded out. You see, we live in a world, and you know, sometimes we think the soil of our hearts is impervious to the seed of the world. 
I don't think that's necessarily true. I think Scripture says exactly the opposite is here. You see, if we have fertile soil within us, if our hearts are fertile, if what gets planted in our heart grows, then unfortunately the same is true for the weeds. Do you have any gardeners, any green finger people here? Anybody who's got a, a little bit more than just half a patch of lawn outside their yard uh, it's turned to dust. Uh, it happens easily. It's amazing how quickly when we don't tend, what tends to happen is the, that which we don't want to grow begins to grow there. Now, I'm a lawn guy. I like lawn. It's amazing how hard you have to work just to keep lawn lawn. Lawn becomes everything but lawn the moment you let it go. It's like where I spend Put poison here. I don't know how often I go away for a holiday. I come back. Guess what? There's other stuff growing in my lawn. Who said you can grow here? Doesn't matter how hard you try, the stuff you don't want to grow is the stuff that grows. We live in a world which is casting seeds all of the time. The seeds that Scripture calls here about the worries of this world. The cares of this world, different translations speak about, and the lure of wealth. That big thing up there, I'll mention that in a moment again for us. But you know, this, oh, this idea of if I just have money, my problems are going to be solved. And then you look at the lives of some rich people and I realize money does not solve problems. <laughs> Identity issues don't get solved by having more money on the contrary. Heart issues don't get healed by having more money. Relationship issues don't get better when I've got more money. Look at just the, the state of the world of the people around us so often. But then the big killer here. All too quickly the message is crowded out by worries and the lure of wealth. And then what happens? We become unfruitful. So no fruit is produced. And so I'll put in context what I think God is doing in so many of our lives now. God is doing what He does best, and He's being a gardener. God is gardening because He cares about His patch of lawn. He cares about the fruitfulness of His planting. God's perhaps not a lawn guy. God's an orchard guy. A vineyard guy. God wants fruit. And God sees that we live in environments where there are seeds being sown all of the time. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us in this week had a moment of worry about something about this life? Just so encouraged by Renee's word. Just confirmation of what the Spirit is wanting to say to us. The worries, the cares of this life, how they, they swallow us up. A couple of years ago, I, so I've always been a guy who, who's specifically in the internet age and for the younger people are like, what do you mean by that? The older people will understand that there was a pre-internet age. There was a time when there was not such a thing as internet where kind of you maybe got a newspaper once a day if you were in a, otherwise kind of once or twice a week, maybe you stumbled across a newspaper and you paged through some of it and you got magazines once a month. And, and that would be your source of news. 
Now I've got this thing that beeps every time someone coughs somewhere around the world. And, and we've kind of since that's begun to happen, I remember on my old Nokia as a little, these news apps and when RSS feeds was still a thing and always reading all of the news and kind of always up to date with what's going on in the world around us. And then I realized that's not good for my health and made a conscious decision to step away from that. Not to be less informed about what's going on, but to spend less time reading other people's opinions. Because I began to realize that modern news is far less interested in giving me the facts and far more interested in giving me the opinions. And expecting me that kind of their opinion is obviously the right opinion. So I've learned to digest, kind of to distill. How do I get the facts out of the story? Because the facts are still important. I still like to know the facts. But I really don't want to spend too much time reading some 20-year-old journalist's opinion about what the world should be and should look like. And kind of they try and push it to us all the time. So I just made a decision a couple of years ago. I'm not going to spend nearly as much time on doing and reading news and people's opinions and kind of every 17, every person has 17 different opinions on every matter. And I don't think it's good or healthy for us. Definitely not for me. It begins to consume me and I begin to get into these arguments in my head with this guy and with that guy and just a whole bunch of stuff. And there's a beautiful passage in the Psalms. I think it's Psalm 130, if I'm not mistaken, where David writes. Here's a, a moment of, of liberty and freedom for many of us right about to come. And I've forgotten the passage. Janetta wrote a beautiful song about that. I do not, cons- comes down to, I do not concern myself with matters profound for me. I do not concern. This is King David saying, I don't bother with matters too profound for me. And that for me is just such a moment of freedom to realize, not that I shouldn't be praying into world affairs, but I'm not going to change whoever's going to be the next president of the United States or not. I'm probably not going to change whether certain legislation gets passed or not. I'm not saying if God has called you that, don't be an activist. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, for most of us, we probably, as much as we can pray into it and do pray into it, I'm not saying don't pray, we're probably not going to change too much about the war in Russia and Ukraine, as much as we would love to. So I can get very, very worked up about the war in Russia and Ukraine and what is right and what is wrong. Or I can do what David did. And say, there is a war. It breaks my heart because there are people being broken. And I will pray into that. But the politics around all of that, that's too profound for me. I'll leave that to other people to sort out. Because those are earthly things. And so, with this accident of mine, I was forced to lie on my back for a bit. And kind of, then you get bored. And I started reading a whole bunch of news again. And that was... I don't know if it was just a bad time to start reading news again or if it's always like that because, as I said, I try not to read too much news, although I'm reading everything I can about this. And half of you are going to miss this this absolute bombshell that hit world golf a couple of days ago. But anyway, so that's really interesting to read every single opinion about that for the next week and then to get over it. But this was a really bad time to break my foot because this was just at the time when the U.S. was saying that we're selling weapons to Russia. And then we're saying, no, we're not selling weapons to Russia, but our general is in Russia right now 
talking to the Russian generals, and it just really wasn't a good look for South Africa. And then Vladimir Putin's going to, oh, we're not going to arrest him, we're going to change our laws, and all of these things, and kind of all of the opinions into that. So here I am lying with my foot up high in the air, toes above nose, and reading all of this stuff, and getting all worked up about it. Getting worked up about it, because how it affects me. Oh, this is bad for the rand. Very bad for the rand. Bad for the rand is bad for me. It's bad because I don't agree with whatever my moral convictions and thoughts about government and what, 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 all of those things and kind of it. I'm wrestling with this. I'm lying here on my back, toes above nose, and I'm vexed by these realities. It's like upsetting me and I'm beginning to worry. I'm swallowed up. These seeds are beginning to be fertile in my heart. These seeds of worry, these seeds of, but what about my finances? Am I going to be okay? And, you know, what about this and what about that? And I was reminded that Jesus says, do not be worried what you will eat or what you will drink. And this little phrase that we always say, but I don't think we stop about it often, he says, because that's what unbelievers do. And I was like, I'm being an unbeliever right now. Unbelievers worry about what we're going to eat and what we I'm not saying don't plan. I'm not saying don't have financial stewardship. It's not what I'm saying. But there's a difference between planning and being a good steward of something and being aware of our surroundings and worry. Worry becomes emotional. Worry gets on the inside. See, worry takes my fruitfulness. Worry keeps me up at night. I began to worry about how all of these things are going to affect my life. What if South Africa gets sanctioned? What if, why are we aligning with China and Russia of all people? What's up with our government? Surely it's wrong, kind of getting all of the moral arguments around that. Some of you are thinking, yes, it's right, that's also okay. And then the Holy Spirit was like, wait, wait, but seek first the kingdom. And so my prayer began to change. I was like, God, God, maybe in here, there's an opportunity for the kingdom. Who knows? I don't know what the world is going to look like 10 years from now. But maybe there is going to be a new iron curtain type thing going up. And we're all worried because we're going to be on the wrong side of the iron curtain. Maybe in God's view, it's the right side of the iron curtain. Because maybe that means we can go to Russia and we can minister the gospel. And maybe we can get visas for China when no one else can get visas for China. And maybe we can go. And, and it, it began to challenge me when I'm reading this news. Am I more concerned about how it affects me or my praying about the gospel? Am I saying, God, what is going to happen? Because that wouldn't hit me again. I'm probably, maybe you think I've got a lack of faith. Maybe I do. But I'm probably not going to do too much about South Africa's foreign policy. It might be that God decides to breathe and raise me up and give me a position or to speak to power or you or someone. That, that might happen. I'm not going to close that door. If God wants to do that, he can do that with any of us. But most likely, I'm not really going to change much about our foreign policy. So why worry about it? Why not say, God, well, if the cards fall this way, it means this for the kingdom. If it goes this way, it means this for the kingdom. God, where's the opportunity for the gospel in this environment. 
And I realized in that moment, God was being a gardener. And God was coming and He was taking some of these seeds of worry and He was removing them again. This last while, I don't know why, if it's just, I don't know why, just suddenly, this last week or two, just suddenly again being just Ponzi schemes all over the place. I don't know if it's just suddenly more of them or new ones or they're better marketed. Friends sending me stuff. Invest 10,000 rand now, six hours later you'll get 200,000 rand. Like legit, my father-in-law sends me one yesterday. He's like, he just wants to know, is this thing real? Here's the message he sends me. Let me read it for you. Here we go. Half past, 24 minutes past eight last night. I'm going to translate. Again and again. Weer en weer en weer het ek weer Again and again and again, I've invested. I don't think it's investment, but anyway. And get, this is kind of what someone sent him and he wants me to respond to this now. And I get, Massive profit out of this investment. It is amazing. All I do is I put in 10,000 rand and I get back 210,000 rand 10 hours later. That's amazing. Sign me up. The lure of wealth. Uh, a while ago, someone, I don't want to embarrass him, someone going to mention the name, brought a genuine investment opportunity to my knowledge. Some of us, we did some homework. We got on board with it. The back row is laughing. It's a naughty school bus row right at the back there. Got on board with it. By God's grace, made some money out of it. And somewhere around that, there was just this lure of wealth that was stuck in my heart. Made some decisions in hindsight, probably not the best decisions, fortunately. God, with sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. But this, this thing that just gets so stuck in your, your heart and kind of probably missed the Holy Spirit, started up a company across the world, had a brother in Hong Kong who helped with that. And then this thing just it kind of it begins consuming. I love how God is a gardener. And he comes with his pruning shears and he comes with his very focused poison. I love that about poisons nowadays. Thank God for clever botany people. I can walk on my lawn and I can spray poison all over my lawn. And the lawn doesn't die, but everything else dies. And God comes and he does that. And he, he's got the right poison that he needs right there to kill that thing that's still buried somewhere in our heart, that seed that was planted there. The lure of wealth. So these Ponzi schemes going up all over the place, maybe just a, a quick side note here. If you ever get an SMS like this or WhatsApp like this, you know it's a lie. Do you know how it's a lie? Because if this guy can put in 10,000 rand and get 210,000 rand a couple of hours later, why doesn't he just do it? Why does he need my money? There's this other thing, Forex, what's it, F? 4-3-X, what breakthrough? Jerome Michaels, a bunch of people have, have got into that, started asking me about it, big in, in Cape Town, Cape Flats. This guy promises 7% per annum return, uh, per week return. Just quick little asterisk here, just to help you guys think through this whenever you get an opportunity like this. 7% per week. 7% per week means if he can scrape together somehow from colleagues, from friends, go to the bank, he guarantees 7% per week. He can scrape together a million rand which in today's world is not so much money anymore. 
Within one year, that'll be 33 million rand. In less than two years, it'll be more than a billion rand. What does he want to do with my money? Why does he need to go through the schlep of having me involved in this whole process and pain and kind of all of the frustration of working with clients or whatever? If someone really can make that much money, then they will make that much money and they don't need you to be anywhere close. And so that's kind of a, just a, a big red flag always. If someone is making all of this money and they want you to be part of it, immediately you know they're lying. Because if they're making all of this money, they don't need my money. I'm not going to contribute anything of value. They could be billionaires in less than two years without me being involved. But it's amazing how many people kind of jump into this. Sometimes even they put this Christian label on it. God is in this. A couple of years ago, there was a really big Ponzi, and some of my friends got involved and probably burned some friendships there. I remember having a, a heated discussion with a friend of mine who's in deep trouble now. Got involved in this, this Ponzi scheme, Bitcoin-based Ponzi thing, and at that stage, I'd been just getting involved into a little bit of understanding crypto, and I, told, I phoned him. I said, guy, what are you doing? He says, no, he's had some challenges with health, and this is, his business is failing, and this is just falling into place perfectly. This is a provision from God. I said, this is not provision from God. He said, no, it is. What else can it be? Now, a couple of years later, having to sell all of his possessions, pay back loans, massive claims against his, his living estate, etc., trying to figure out how is he going to not become bankrupt He's a couple of years older than me at this stage of his life. Now suddenly he realizes maybe this lure of wealth, which his Christian friends had drawn him into, wasn't of God. We have to allow God to cut that out of us if we want to follow him. If we want to be fruitful, there are two things that we have to allow him to remove out of our heart. The first one is earthly worry, and the second one is this desire to be rich desire to be rich comes back to this place of surrender a surrender can only come after a struggle and I think some of us we're in this place right now where the gardener is coming with his pruning shears and we're saying God I want to be used by you and God is well stop worrying you're like oh, God I can't stop worrying and he's well let me take that worry out of you let me cut it out of you like, God but who am I going to be if I don't worry about that but God, who am I going to be if I don't have this dream for these finances? Who am I going to be if I'm not concerned about this thing all of the time? It's almost shaped part of our identity. And God is, well, you're going to be mine. You're going to be mine. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as he had planted. That is where God is going with you. Fruitfulness. What is the killer of fruitfulness? Worry. I'm going to say this and upset some of you, and then I'll explain it, and maybe you'll be a little bit less upset. Worrying is sin. 
Maybe it's a harsh way of saying it. Maybe an easier way of saying it is worrying is outside of God's will and God's purpose for your life. God's will for your life, God's purpose for your life does not include worry. Look at what he tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't, I love this translation. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Worry and anxiety. Some scriptures say, be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication. It's a different translation of this. With thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So what should be our response to worry? This will really help some of our prayer life. The moment you begin to worry, stop and pray. The moment you begin to worry, stop and say, God, I'm worried about this. God, this thing is beginning to consume me. What is the difference between aware and worry? Probably go and wordsmith that and get some better words for that. When I'm aware, my head knows about it. When I'm worried, my heart is weighed by it. And so we need to find ways when our heart becomes weighed by anything. Scripture says, don't be, rather pray, rather pray. For some of us, this is going to be a process. Some of us are going through that right now where we realize God is beginning to cut out the cares of this world, the worries of this world. We're worried about our house and God is saying, don't be. I'm not saying, my wife needs to close her ears for a moment. I'm not saying, don't fix the wall that's breaking down. Fix it. Be aware of it. Be a good steward. I don't worry about it. Don't let it get me down. Don't let it steal my fruitfulness for the kingdom. We can have worry or we can have fruitfulness. We can't have both. So some of us need to get aggressive with our worry. We need to become ruthless with our worry. God is a ruthless gardener. We have these rose bushes. We pruned them a while ago. I thought we'd killed them all. There were these beautiful rose bushes. We cut them down. There's like a little twig left. I'm like, oh, did I really overdo it now? Send a photo to a friend. They're like, no, no, that looks about right. I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. I'm like, are you sure, sure? Because I think I've just killed all the roses. It's the way it should be done. In that sense, God, is, God has no problem in cutting away what is unfruitful and what steals fruitfulness. Because he sees what it will lead to. And so I honestly believe that what God is doing in many of our lives right now, as we've been saying, God, use me. God, here I am. God, send your spirit. God, I'm engaging with this mission of God. God, I'm going to step out. God, I'm going to begin to minister. God, I'm becoming a witness for you again. God, I'm going to preach. God, I'm going to pray with my colleagues. God, I'm going to invite my friends. God, I'm going to help to fill this building multiple times over, not about the building, but about the souls that need to be saved. God, I'm saying yes to all of that. God is saying, okay, well, there's a worry obstacle we need to deal with. God, I can't go on a mission because I'm worried. I can't go to, where, where's Yaku? God, where are we going next? Yaku with the kids. Uh, Yaku Piki was here just now. That Yaku. Uh, I can't go to Malopa for the weekend because, I'm going to say this this evening, I've got the exam on Tuesday. Study hard, definitely. 
Embrace the scriptures. I have more understanding than all of my teachers because your testimonies are my meditations. Do I believe it or not? Am I more worried about my passing? Am I more worried about my career? Am I more worried about this next thing, about this world? Or am I more worried about the kingdom? We all know this. Our heads know this. We've heard the passages. The kingdom is like a man who finds a treasure hidden in a field. And he goes and he sells all that he owns so that he can buy that field. Our heads know it. We can quote the scriptures. Holy Spirit is beginning to make it our hearts. The selling of everything to buy the field. For some of us, it's going to take a day or two for the poison to have its effect. For some of us, it's going to take a whole season. As long as it's the gardener who's constantly working in our hearts, let's embrace it. Say, God, come and kill worry. Come and kill selfish desire. Come and kill the things of this world. Because as Renee helped us understand at the start, it's going to burn anyway. Lord, help me to build that, which is going to remain. Can we stand together this morning? I want to pray with us and pray for us. So if we can close our eyes, Jesus, thank you this morning that you are that God in our Lord. And as you've been doing, we just want to again open the little gate to our gardens and say, come and be the gardener, Lord. Lord, every seed that's found root within our hearts, Lord, come and pluck them out if they're not from you, Lord. The seeds of worry, Lord, the seeds of richness and wealth, Lord, the seeds that consume us, the seeds that make us unfruitful, Lord, that'll strangle the fruitfulness. Holy Spirit, come and Cut them out. Come and pour the poison. Come and do what you need to do so that we can be fruitful, Lord. So I want to ask if that's you this morning, if, if you know that the Holy Spirit is beginning to work with you to this morning has just kind of helped you to understand a little bit about what God is saying and doing in your life right now. Don't you, just by way of acknowledgement, want to put up your hand and say, Holy Spirit, I see you are doing this and I want to yield to it. Just put up your hand and say, that's me, God. Come and be that gardener. Continue being that gardener. Come and cut out what's not of you. Come and wash it. Come and however you need to take it out of this garden. I don't want it near this garden, God. If it's mechanical, if it's chemical, God, God, I want to be fruitful. And if there's anything in here, Lord, that affects my fruitfulness, take it away, Jesus. I want to be fruitful for you. I'm going to ask those of you who put your hands up to be bold and come and stand at the front. We're going to bring back into our culture in church this laying on of hands, this trusting God for something to shift in the spirit when we pray with one another. We want to lay hands on you. We want to pray for you. We're with you. We want to trust God that something is going to shift in the spirit as we do that. So those who've put your hands up, don't you just want to walk right to the front? We're going to pray with you this evening. This morning, rather. It's not a thing of shame. It's a thing of faith, of coming to where God is moving. I'm going to ask the rest of us small group facilitators and leaders to come and step forward and lay hands on one another. Pray with people. Trust God. He's going to come and cut out what needs to be cut out.
Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash Pretoria.